welcome back. Today we begin a new study and we're going to be dealing with the epistle of Jude. And if you've been following me, you know we just finished the second epistle of Peter. And this is the reason why we're doing the epistle of Jude, because there is a direct relationship between Jude's epistle and second Peter. And that is second Peter, if you recall, was warning these Jewish Christians about false teachers that would arise amongst them and come in amongst them and teach things contrary to the doctrines that the apostles have taught them and also living lives that are basically ungodly lies. But these false teachers who would come in amongst them, Peter was saying, he is writing a ahead of time so that they would be thoroughly prepared for when they would come that they would not fall from their steadfastness. That is, that they would hold on to the teachings and doctrines to the which the apostles have taught them. Now, that was Second Peter. Jude basically is saying that the false prophets that were warned by Peter have now come. And when we look at the writings of Jude, we see so much. There is almost a direct parallelism between the things that are written in Jude. And remember, Jude is only, we call, we call it one chapter, but Jude is very short. There is an almost direct parallelism between the wordings of Jude as well as 2 Peter, which lets us know that Jude is referring to 2 Peter. Jude is aware and has read Second Peter. But anyway, enough of all of that. So let's just simply get into Jude. We're going to open it up. We're going to talk about the author. The author is Jude or Judas, as it would be in Hebrew. But uh, Jude, and he is the brother of James. That is, they have the full parentage of Joseph and Mary, brother of James. And he is also the half brother of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Jude wrote his letter in around about 67 to 80 AD. Quite naturally, the letter would be written after 2 Peter. Since what did we say about 2 Peter? 2 Peter was the point, the, uh, uh, the false prophets would be coming. Jude is saying the false prophets have now come. So it's going to be a later date, quite naturally. And also, Jude had and read the letter of Second Peter. So roughly around 67 to 80 AD. The audience of Jude, quite naturally again, is the similar audience that Peter wrote to. Remember Peter's letter, First Peter, he talks about that in specifically to those Jews that were scattered abroad amongst Gentile nations. Also the idea is same for Second Peter and thus we see this being the same for Jude. So it is a letter to Jewish Christians. Now, even though we've said, as we've said for first, second Peter, uh, this letter is unto Jewish Christians. It has practical applications for all Christians in every age. So the letter is for all of God's people, even though it was specifically written to Jewish Christians. And this is why we could consider uh, Jew to be a part of that, uh, those Hebrew or Jewish epistles. Now, uh, the purpose of Jude, and we've already talked about that, in dealing with the false teachers and the effects overall, the effects that these false teachers have had upon the congregation of Israel, that is, these Jewish believers. So he's going to basically talk about false teachers have come, and they did come. 
in the manner in which Peter said that they would come. Uh, doctrinal errors that Peter talked about. We'll talk about all of these things as we get into Jude. Doctrinal errors as well as the licentiousness, that is, the sensuality, the immorality, the sexual immorality of their lives and also things that are spun, or should I even say, come about because of their teachings. All right, enough said about that with the introduction to Jude. Now let's actually get into the epistle of Jude. Jude is like, what, 25 verses. So the Lord says, now Jude can be kind of thick, but the Lord said the same. We'll try to finish this in a single video, okay? All right, so Jude, let's begin. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are the called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. May mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you. So we remember that this is an epistle, that is, it's a letter. So here we have basically the heading, that is, we will have the greeting or the salutation from whom the letter is written and Jude identifies himself and to whom the letter is given. And basically it is not so much as specific, there is that assumption, and we already just dealt with that, that is, Hebrew Christians, the same audience of Peter. There is that same assumption to the audience to, to the which the letter is written to. So Jude opens it up and notice how he refers to himself as a bond servant. That's that dualos term again, which literally is translated as a slave, a slave of Jesus Christ and brother of James. Uh, the only thing that I bring to your attention here is the humility that Jude has. What you have to understand is Jude is the half brother of Jesus, but he never refers to himself with that type of familial relationship to Jesus. He simply calls himself a slave of Jesus. And in, in this sense, he honors Jesus and he recognizes Jesus so, so much more than his uh, literal brother. He, and as we're going to see in the text, he's going to recognize Jesus as Lord and Savior. Okay. So we see that humility that he has in that he distances himself from the familial recognition uh, of Jesus as his brother. And he only recognizes James. And this is James, uh, uh, James Jacob, as you would see in a, uh, Old Testament, he would be called, but James, <laughs> and this James is also the writer for the epistle of James. All right. And so he directs it to those who are the called. And now we don't want to get a lot into that, but he, he brings in the sense of election. Okay. And that is okay. And I'm fighting it. I am fighting it. But those who are amongst the Jewish people, called of God. You see, just because a person simply is Jewish is not a person he simply called of God. That's Paul's teaching in the book of Romans, specifically Romans 9, uh, chapters 9, 10, and 11. And then it also deals with the overall principle of election. Those who are saved are the ones who are called by God unto salvation called by God to explicitly believe in Jesus as the Messiah, son of God, and in believing in him, they are saved. 
but this activity is done of God himself. And then he also refers to them as beloved, beloved ones in God, the father and kept for Jesus Christ. That is those who have been kept. And we can kind of see what, what uh, uh, Jude in his reference to John chapter six. Remember when John says, uh, when Jesus says, all that my father gives to me will come to me, but we're not going to get into that. But in all of these things in the salutation heading that we have from Jude is he is speaking to those who have attained their salvation as a gift of God, not of themselves. And they are the elect, the chosen ones of God preserved and kept in and by Jesus Christ, our Lord for Jesus Christ, our Lord. Okay. And then it just simply says mercy, peace, and love is multiplied to you. All right. Now let's start getting into the heart of the letter. Verse number three, beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all handed down to the saints. For certain persons have crept in unnoticed, those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so now he gets into the purpose of his letter. He starts getting into it. And you can just about see every time he's moving his train of thought, when Jude is moving the train of thought, he uses the term beloved. Okay, so beloved, it was his intention initially to write a letter, a common letter about their salvation. Now, we don't know. Jude did not get into the specificities of what he would have written, but nevertheless, Jude was saying that he had purposed in his mind to write a letter, a common letter, no doubt a letter of exhortation, a letter of encouragement, a letter, a letter of, of kindness, so to speak, about the common salvation, a letter that was not so tough and strict. That's the very essence and nature of this letter. It's going to be tough and strict as Jude comes against these false teachers. But he said, I wanted to write a letter about our common salvation, but there is a problem. There is a present tense problem. What? He says, but I find it necessary to write to you to contend earnestly for the faith. Now let's talk about this because the language can get uh, kind of thick, so to speak. It was necessary. I wanted to write a very nice little letter about our common salvation, but I cannot. Why? There is mess going on in the church that is amongst the saints, saints of God. Certain people have crept in unawares. Now, these are the same ones. And notice, you can even see the language of 2 Peter, how in chapter 2, Peter says, as there were false prophets amongst the people in earlier days, there will also be false teachers amongst you who will creep in. And this is the same idea that Jude is now saying. Jude is saying the warning that Peter gave us of false teachers creeping in 
I'm telling you, they have crept in and they have sneaked in unawares. And so I'm saying to you, notice, I'm now I have to change the purpose of my letter. No more little happy, happy letter about our common salvation. I now have to write a letter to you for you to contend for the faith. Now, let me talk about that. That word particularly contend basically deals with the word deals with the idea to wrestle with. That is uh, uh, that which the apostles and I'm going to talk about that, too. But that which the apostles have given to us right doctrine that comes from the apostles of Jesus himself. They are given the keys to the church to establish the doctrines of the church. All of this based upon the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ and the authority that was given unto them. Jude said we have to wrestle as we hold to these truths that were taught by them. And that is that word. Uh, it's almost like to, and uh, uh, let me just look. Epagonitsista, my pronunciation is not good. Epagonitsista, and that is that word that he used to contend, to struggle for. But then he says this, and it's, it's translated, earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. So now let me calm it down. I like the way it says it in the Greek, and and not to confuse you with the Greek, but the Greek says it so much better, I believe, than our English translation. It just simply reads, I'll just read it for you. That literally translate the once handed down to the Holy One's faith. Now, doesn't that sound much better? The once handed down to the Holy One's faith. And so it's basically translated the faith that was once for all handed down to the saints. And the point and the reason why I bring that bring this out to you and the point of it all is the faith deals with a, bo a, a body or doctrine of truth, a body of beliefs. That is the things that the apostles handed down, the teachings of Christ, the teachings of the apostles handed down to the saints is unchanging. And that's the most important point. And that's the, the force that we have of the Greek. The teachings that was handed down by the apostles is a once for all. It never changes. And so therefore, what is Jude saying? That we should contend, that we should struggle and wrestle with anybody and anything that tries to change or, uh, or, or, or confuse this once and for all teachings that is handed down from Christ and the apostle. The truths of God, truths of Jesus, the truths that are taught by the apostles in the New Testament never ever change. And anyone who tries to change those truths, what is Jude trying to say? Jude is not saying that we should be passive. Jude is saying we should actively contend, fight and struggle for the doctrines of the truth. All right. But let's go on. I think I stopped uh, verse number three. So that was his purpose. Uh, uh, 
So what? What is the problem? Certain persons, I don't know if I read verse number four, I tend to get excited. Certain persons, these are the false teachers that Peter talked about. These are the false teachers that now are Jude is talking about have come in and notice they were long beforehand marked out for condemnation. So already the very theme or, or, or should we say the, the feel and the tenor of this is false teachers will be judged. False teachers will be judged. And if you can recall, that was the very idea of what Peter was talking about in his second epistle. What? False teachers will be judged. And Peter gave examples. Remember the example that Peter gave was the time of the angels that sinned in the days of Noah and then Lot in the times of Sodom and Gomorrah. We're going to see what? Jude giving these same examples, which lets us know what? That Jude had read the epistle of Peter. Now Jude is going to add on a little bit in the examples of these things, but and in even somewhat embellish in his descriptors, like we talked about that in 2 Peter. If you have not, the, the, uh, let me, I tell you what, let me stop here. If you have not looked at the teachings that we did on the epistle of 2 Peter, this would be a good time to do that because the only way that you can really understand Jude's epistle, you got to understand second Peter because Jude is referring to the warning of second Peter. But let me go back. Let's go back to the text because I don't want to be too long. These certain persons that Peter talked about early in his epistle of second Peter come in. Notice, notice, what it, uh, he's going to talk about this. This is going to be also one of the key terms that we see in the epistle of Jude, ungodly. So one of the descriptors of these false teachers is they themselves are ungodly people. But once again, ungodly persons and what are they doing? Now, here's where we need to take a little time so that you can understand what Jude is trying to say. They turn the grace of our God into licentiousness. There are two things that they're doing. Turning the grace of God into licentiousness and denying our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. So two principal things that they are doing. And these are the same things that Peter warned that they would do. But let's break it down so you can understand what Jude is is meaning when he says they turn the grace of our God into licentiousness. Jude is talking about the sense of, all right, a person is never say, okay, salvation. Salvation is by faith in Jesus alone. We are not saved by what we do. We are saved by what we believe. Belief in the person that is Jesus is God and Jesus is also man, Messiah, and that Jesus, God, was made flesh, lived that righteous life, paid for our sins by death on the cross. His death, his life and death was acceptable to God in that resurrection of the dead, proving indeed that Jesus was God Almighty. If you believe that, if you believe in the person and works of Jesus, you are saved. However, there is a perversion of this that you can take it in the wrong way as the apostle Paul tried to deal with also in the book of Romans when Paul said, shall we continue in our sins 
so that grace may abound. Again, so that what shall we continue in our sins? That is, as as through one man sin came and sin abounded, grace, the grace of God through Jesus Christ, did much more abound. God, through what Jesus has done, through his one work, that is, that death on the cross, has covered a multitude of sins. You got it? And that's the point. And since through the grace of Jesus, our sins are covered, shall we continue to live in sin so that grace can keep on covering more and more sins? God forbid. Or even, as Paul continued to say, as people would distort Paul's gospel, that is, since I'm not saved by what I do, all I have to do is believe in Jesus. I believe the stuff that they say about Jesus and that leaves me free to continue to live a life of sin. That's what Jude is referring to. That also is what Paul referred to in the book of Galatians, how he says some have distorted his preaching. But let me go back because it's, it's far too long here and I want to finish Jude in one teaching. Turn the grace of our God into licentiousness. Jude is simply saying there are some who are saying that you can be saved by simply believing in Jesus, but you can continue to live just like you want to live. You can live in sin, live in fornication, live in adultery, live in lie. It leaves you free to continue to live just like you want. Why? Because all you got to do is believe in Jesus to be saved. That is turning the grace of God into a license to sin, into licentiousness. So that's the first error that they are making. Then he said the second error, deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. What does it mean by that? The key is understanding the word despotate that he's using for, that's the word that is translated here for master, okay? Master, notice despotate and kurios. Kurios means Lord. Here, just like Peter, Peter says, what would the false teachers do? Again, second Peter, he said, they would even deny the Lord who bought them. One of the key features identifying marks of false teachings is a misunderstanding of the person and works of Jesus. But we're not going to get into all of the dynamics of that. But what we will say is Jude is saying the same thing here. They are denying the Lordship. By, and because it uses, as I was saying earlier, despotate, that's despot, despot, which means absolute and sovereign ruler despot and kurios, that is, in some way or fashion, they are denying the divinity of Jesus. And that's why Jude uses our only despot and Lord, because despot deals with the sovereignty, that which, that which is an attribute of God alone. And kurios is the name that is used to, to, uh, with respect to the divine nature of Jesus. So they are denying the divinity that Jesus, when we say divinity, that Jesus is God. So once again, there is a corruption 
in the, in the understanding as well as in their teaching concerning the person of Jesus Christ. And it is, once again, even though I'm teaching Jude, let me just simply say this, as we're going to deal with, as Jude himself deals with at the very end of this epistle, it is absolutely important that you get the doctrines concerning the person of Jesus correct, or you will deceive yourself in false salvation. You believe that you are saved and you have never been saved. You must believe that Jesus is God made flesh. You must believe 100% righteous life, died on the cross for your sins, was resurrected from the grave. You must believe these things. Apart from this, you cannot be saved. Okay, but anyway, so let's go back. So what is the issue? Jude said, I wanted to write a happy letter to you about our salvation, but we've had false teachers to come into the congregation and what have they done? They have turned the grace of God into a license to sin. They're saying to people, all you got to do is believe, but how you live, well, that really doesn't matter. And then they don't have this right understanding concerning the person and works of Jesus Christ. So therefore, I have to write to you to contend for the faith, for the once unchanging teachings that came from Jesus and the apostles themselves. Verse number five, now he builds. Now I desire to remind you, though you know all things once for all, that the Lord, after having saving a people out of the land of Egypt, subsequently destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their own domain but abandoned their proper abode, he has kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, since they in the same way as these indulged in gross immorality and went after strange flesh are exhibited as an example in undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. Okay. The language is so second Peter, you cannot miss it. But the point is as second Peter talked about these false teachers who will come distorting the doctrines that they themselves, the apostles have taught Jude is saying these same apostles have now come with this distortion. But what did Peter say? Peter said, they will be judged. And I'm not going to go through all of the comparative analysis because the real, you can actually do a comparison between Jude and second Peter. I'm not going to waste your time in that. Go and look at what I talked about the teachings in second Peter, and you'll be able to see these things for yourself. I'll only highlight certain parts, but you'll see a couple of the examples that Peter talked about angels that sin, Sodom and Gomorrah. But the point here is, as Peter said, these false teachers will be judged. Jude is saying the same thing. These false teachers will be judged. And as Peter gave examples of God's judgment in the past, judgment of the angels in the days of Noah, judgment uh, 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 in, of Sodom and Gomorrah in the days of Lot, 
Jude gives similar examples. He gives the same two examples with those angels in the days of Noah and Lot in the uh, 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 Sodom and Gomorrah and Lot. But Jude adds one in addition, the people coming out of Egypt. Okay. So notice what he says. Verse number five. He says, I want to remind you what you already know these things. And that's how we understand as we look at the situations. Jude, you can tell that is and I'm slowing it down. You can tell that Jude is writing to Jewish people because of the knowledge, the requisite of knowledge that you must have of the Old Testament. If you didn't have a ready knowledge of the Old Testament, say for instance, simply writing to Gentiles who didn't know, they would be completely lost on these issues. You need to have a knowledge of the Old Testament. But his reference in verse number five, after having saving a people out of the land of Egypt, destroyed those who did not believe. And I like that, but I'm not going to get into great detail, even though you can really get into the nuances of this particular verse. Saving a people is the, is the sense of holistically saving them. That is referring back to Exodus chapter 12, when God led the children of Israel out of Egypt. Okay. But even though he led all of them out of the land of all of the Jews were led out of the land of Egypt, all of the Jews were not saved. That's that nuance that you have to catch. And, and, and how does it apply with the teachings of Jesus Christ? You know, everybody can hear about Jesus. Everybody can have some knowledge of Jesus. And that kind of ties you all the way back to second Peter. What was Peter saying about the false teachers? They want to pretend that they have a knowledge, but the truth of the matter is, remember that word keyword that we talked about in second Peter epignosis, that is a true knowledge. That's how it was translated or an intimate knowledge. These false teachers did not have an intimate knowledge. Why? Because the true knowledge is always evidenced in how you live holy and godly. But anyway, let's stay back to Jude. It is so difficult to kind of stay in Jude because you can tell he's feeding directly out of the second epistle of Peter. But anyway, the point that he is bringing is a people as a whole were led out, but what happened? They fell into judgment because of unbelief. And this is the thing about the false teachers. They have this appearance of those who know God, have a relationship with God, have been led out, but ultimately, will be destroyed because of unbelief. Unbelief, that is, they were not genuinely saved. Remember what Peter even said? It is, it is just like the proverb says, the dog returns to his vomit and the pig who was once washed returned to the mire. And why did the pig and the dog, why does the pig, why does the dog return to the vomit? Because he is a dog. He is still a dog. He was never truly changed. Why does the pig return to the mud? Because it is a pig. It was never truly changed. So therefore dogs gonna act like dogs in the end and pigs will act like pigs. So here, it is the similarity that we see that Jude is bringing about. What? Saving a people? But what is the point? They were subsequently destroyed those who did not 
believe. Okay. And then that's the first example. The second example, and I'm going to move through the text because I'm taking far too long. The second example is parallel with the example that Peter gave in second Peter chapter two. That is the angels who did not keep their own domain. And that is in a nutshell, Angels were never allowed to have sexual relations, okay? But as Peter's saying, and we can kind of see Jude even helping us to understand this even better, what was taking place in Genesis chapter six. These angels, instead of remaining with angels and angels alone, never having any type of sexual relationship. And remember, they were going to be no, no sexual relation beyond the angels. Number one, all angels are men or male angels. And so, of course, homosexuality will not be uh, allowed, but no sexual relations at all. But what did they do? Instead of them maintaining where they're supposed to be, they became flesh and engaged in sexual relations with human women. And this is Genesis six, the sons of God saw the daughters of men and they took wives. This is what Peter talks about when these angels had sexual immoral, immoral relations with women. And this is what Jude is talking about here. They didn't keep their own domain, but abandoned their proper abode. They didn't stay like God had said for them to stay. What same thing like Peter, Peter said that they were bound in chains in Tartarus and Jude is simply affirming that he kept them. He has kept God has punished the angels, kept them in chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. So as Peter said, what the angels who had sexual sins, who sexual relations with human women, God punished these angels by keeping them in Tartarus, bound them in chains, in darkness, keeping them. They are never to be released until the day of judgment. And these angels then will be cast into the lake of fire. And this is what Jude here is affirming. Same example of Peter. Third example, similar to what Peter said, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them. And the key word just as in verse number seven is that Greek word host in other words. Okay. And I'm not going to worry about Greek and a lot of this stuff, but a lot of people want to argue about were they angels and what was the sin of the angels in Genesis chapter six? Was it indeed sexual immorality? Now I'm not going to get into that grand discussion about all of the issues that are involved. And some people saying that these may be descendants of Seth who corrupted themselves wrong. These are the angels of God. Men in the old Testament are never called sons of God. Angels are only referred to sons of God and their sin is sexual immorality. And the key is when we see as what verse, no, first of all, what was the sin of the angels? Just as the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah, what was the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah? Sexual immorality. And again, it uses the terminology in the same way, indulging in gross, what? sexual immorality, going after strange flesh. But I said all of that to say the sins of the angels was sexual 
immorality. Okay. And we can see in the way that Jude is tying these things together. What the sins of the angels in, in uh, are tied on or with the similarity as the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah and the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah was sexual immorality. But the point is, let's go back to the text and just close this part up. Just as in like fashions, the Sodom and Gomorrah, the cities around them, what was their sins? Indulging in gross immorality. That is sexual immorality. We understand this to be uh, specifically the sin of homosexuality. The sin of the angels was not homosexuality. They had sex with human women. This is forbidden. The sins of Sodom and Gomorrah is homosexuality. This is also forbidden, but they both fall whether the fornication of the angels with human women or the homosexuality of men with men in Sodom and Gomorrah, they both fall under the canopy, the canopy of sins of sexual immorality. And that's what Jude is saying. Gross immorality and went after strange flesh. And what Jude means here, there's once again, that comparative analysis with angels, strange flesh would be what? Angels seeking the flesh of human women that don't go together. And then here in the sense of Sodom and Gomorrah, strange flesh would be men seeking sexual union with men. That is strange and odd too. These are both improper things. And what did he say? These things are exhibited as examples of undergoing punishment in eternal fire. I like that. So he simply says what? Just as the whole idea, false teachers will be punished. And notice what you can't, you cannot escape the indulging of sexual immorality, the indulging of the flesh, the teachings of uh, sexual sins, the permissiveness that you will get in the uh, false teachers in sexual sins. But nevertheless, his point is they will be judged. Three examples, like the people who came out of Egypt, who proved themselves to be unbelievers, were judged. Like the angels that did not keep their own habitations, but engaged in sexual immorality with human women, they were judged. Like the people during the times of Sodom and Gomorrah, who had homosexual relations with men, they were judged. And that's the point of Jude. These are three examples of judgment. And as these people were judged, so will the false teachers be judged. But there is one thing that Jude does not want you to miss is that sexual immorality. Okay. That sexual immorality in their false teaching. But let's go on. We don't want to be too long. Verse number eight. Yet in the same way, these men also by dreaming defile the flesh, reject authority, revile angelic majesties. But Michael, the archangel, when he disputed with the devil and argued about the body of Moses, he did not dare pronounce against him a railing judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. But these men revile the things which they do not understand and the things which they do not, they know by instinct, like unreasoning animals by these things, they are destroyed. Okay. What is he saying? Again, the similarity is 
undeniable with Peter. And notice what he's talking about. The, the prideful arrogance of false teachers, not un teaching and speaking about things that they do not understand with great confidence of arrogance, even to the point of reviling angelic creatures, or he calls it here, angelic majesties. Same thing that Peter talked about. But the point is the arrogance and pridefulness in their teachings. But let's just go on to the verse. Let's go back to the verse. In the same way, verse number eight, what? These men also by dreaming. Notice, this is not by revelation of the Holy Spirit. Again, you can see the assumption of Second Peter. What? Holy men, holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. These false teachers aren't being moved by the Holy Spirit. They're being moved by their own minds. What does Jude say? They are dreaming. These are thoughts of themselves. These are thinkings and teachings derived from themselves. And we can even say like Paul says in Timothy from demonic sources, or he called Paul simply calls it doctrines of demons. But nevertheless, let's go. Disputed with the, okay, whatever. Defile the flesh. Again, remember what I was saying to you? You cannot escape again what? That sexual impurity that goes along with it. And we can see that now, and I don't want to give a bunch of examples, but I'll once again throw in this thing concerning the community church. I think it's called the Metropolitan Church, the gay church. And somehow they're worshiping God in all of the defilements of the flesh and homosexuality and lesbianism and marrying multiple sex partners. The point is you can bring all of your garbage into the faith and you are not required to live a holy and godly life. But yet you are a Christian and yet you are saved. You see what Jude was trying to say? Turning the grace of God into a license to sin. Somehow you say, and you can live any way you want to. You can, you don't stop lying and stop stealing because you have been saved. No, you continue in these things. But anyway, I'm going to stop from preaching, but let's go back on. They reject authority, revile angelic majesties. We kind of bring, let's bring that together as one. And we can see that in the rejection of the authority, what the rejection of the teachings of Christ, the rejection of the teachings and the authority of the apostles. We got to remember it is the apostles who have been given unto you all. Jesus says, I will give you the keys to the kingdom. That is the authority to decree rules in the church so that whatsoever you bound will be bound and whatsoever you loose will be loosed. You apostles have the Christ given authority to make authority, to make rules for the church. But tell me about these false teachers. They reject the authority of the apostles. They reject the once for all doctrines that were handed down by the apostles of Jesus Christ. You see it now? They're arrogant, full of pride, 
coming up with their own demonic doctrinal rules that's really made up, come up because of the sinful flesh. But anyway, he's going to talk about all of that. Too much time. Let's go back on. They reject even angelic, uh, angelic majesties. Same thing that Peter talked about that. Remember, Peter talked about the rejection of angelic majesties. And here Jude speaks of the angelic majesties. And now he's going to give an example of such rejection of that or, 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 or how that should be dealt with. That's the best way to say that. But these arrogant teachers revile the apostolic, the authority of the apostles. They even revile things they don't even understand, angels themselves. And let me just stop there because I think I have made uh, an example of this somewhere in one of these videos of mine, but let me make it here because it is fitting because you hear people talking about how we need to deal with the devil and how we need to deal with demons. Notice what uh, Jude is saying. Same thing that Peter is saying. There ought to be respect for how we deal with these things. That is even angelic majesties. You've heard some people say, put your foot on the devil. And I say to you, you're going to get your leg broke. You mortal dying human being cannot deal with the greatest creature that God has ever made. Have respect for angelic majesties. And this is what Jude is trying to say. And all I'm saying to you is we don't put our foot on the devil. If I had to say anything to you, back off, back off. And now let's see what Jude is going to teach us and how to deal with these things in a contrary way different than how these prideful false teachers, we see that, then you see it too. Prideful false teachers putting your foot on the devil. You see in here that same mess even today. Let me get back to the text. What? They reject, but verse number eight, uh, Michael, the archangel, notice Michael, his position, Michael himself. Michael is not just simply the messenger angel, Michael is their chief. He is the head of the angels, the messenger angels themselves. Michael, when he disputed with the devil and argued about the body of Moses, did not dare pronounce against him a railing judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. But these men revile the things which they do not understand. But anyway, so what did he say? He gives the example. They have no respect for authority and be mindful when you don't respect authority, whether you like it or not. God himself has ordained authority. He has ordained authority in the world. That is governments. He has ordained authority in the household, the family that is the husband. God has ordained authority in the structure in the family. That is children be obedient to your parents and even wives be submissive to your husband. God has ordained authority. But notice what he says, the very nature of these false teachers. They hate 
authority. They hate angelic majesties. But here's the example. The contrary. Michael, an angel of authority himself. Michael ain't no Rudy Poot. He is an archangel. And he takes us back to the time of Moses. This, is a, this comes from a teaching, a book called The Assumption of Moses. And this is where you understand that this part is actually true. But I'm not going to get into all of that. I know I ran through that. I'm sorry. But I don't have time to get into all of that. Jude can be so thick to be just one little chapter. But at the time of Moses' death, the devil showed up and argued about the body of Moses. And the idea is because Moses sinned when he took the life of that Egyptian. You remember that in the book of Exodus. And so therefore the devil showed up and wanted to have possession over the body of Moses. But God has sent Michael to deal with the internment of Moses's remain. And when the devil showed up, even though Michael himself had authority, he still respected the authority of Satan. You got it? Satan, even though he is a fallen angel, Satan is still a cherub, which is the greatest of the angels. Remember, there are three types of angels, three categories of angels. Messenger angels, the other lower ones, the uh, seraphim, burning angels, and the cherub. These are the highest angels. They can literally stand near the throne of God himself, the cherub. Satan is a cherub. You sometimes say the word cherubim, which is actually in the plural. All right. But Satan, Ezekiel 28, is the chief. Even though he is fallen, he is still the chief. He is the anointed cherub. That's what God calls him in Ezekiel 28. So the point that I'm trying to make is even though Michael had authority, he still respected, even though Satan was fallen, the authority of Satan himself. And Michael did not come to Satan in his own provado, in his own um, all of that. Why? Because I am the chief. I am the ruler of messenger angel. Michael came to Satan with humility, not I who speak unto you, but the Lord himself rebukes you. And that takes me even to the practical point that I'll tell you guys. How do we deal with the devil? You don't put your foot on the devil. You do what. And wait a minute. And Michael is greater than you and me. We are not greater than Michael. We're not greater than the angels. The Bible says in Psalm, what is Psalm 8, that we are lower than the angels. And here is Michael, the chief of the angels. So my point is, how do we deal with the devil? You deal with the devil the same way the Lord, the same way Michael dealt with the devil. You say the Lord rebuke you. Not me, no power from me, no authority from me, but the authority and power belongs to God and God alone. This shows humility and understanding the proper way of dealing things and even dealing with creatures of authority. All right. A respectful authority. OK, enough of that. Enough of that. But all he is saying is these false teachers have no authority. But let me give you an example of how you need to deal with angelic majesties, deal with angelic majesties like the chief angel uh, Michael dealt with them. But now let's continue. 
He says, can these men, and notice he gives the same, again, that parallel uh, similarity with Peter. He said, they are just like animals operating from instinct alone meant to be destroyed. And these are the false teachers. Uh, same thing that Peter said without rehashing that all over. I almost feel like I'm robbing you guys by not repeating it because we're in a totally different book. But there is so much relationship between Jude and second Peter that, but anyway, these false teachers are just like dumb animals operating from instinct not able to reason these dumb animals operating from instinct, just whose end will be destruction. But the overall point, what is it? That these false teachers will be judged. And he gave the examples from the people coming out of Israel to the time of the angels, to the time of Sodom and Gomorrah, uneven to hear their lack of respect for authority and even dignitaries, that is, for angels. Now let's continue. Verse number 11. Woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain, and for pay they have rushed headlong into the era of Balaam and perished in the rebellion of Korah. You see why you got to know the Old Testament? Boy, Jude is thick, but let's keep going. In the era of Korah, uh, these are the men who are hidden reefs in your love feast when they feast with you without fear, caring for themselves, clouds without water, carried along by winds, autumn trees without fruit, doubly dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea, casting up their foam, their shame like foam, wandering stars for whom the black darkness has been reserved forever. He gives and does the same descriptive teachers, descriptive features for these false teachers that Peter does. He gives the same uh, uh, broadness in descriptors for these false teachers. So let's just look at it. What? Woe to them. Uh, verse number 11. In other words, they are in trouble. And again, judgment, because remember his whole point that he's been speaking thus far is judgment for these false teachers. Woe to them. They have gone into the way of Cain. Now, I don't want to spend a lot of time in this, but you have to remember to keep this full idea of what Jude is trying to say in context and always do all of scripture that way. Keep everything in context. What is he saying? The doctrines that have been given through the apostles the doctrines of our faith, the doctrines of our salvation. They have perverted these doctrines and the teachings of Christ, they have perverted these teachings concerning the person and work of Christ. These things that were given by Christ and the apostles. So we have to understand that when he begins to give these particular examples, as the first thing referred to as the doctrines of our faith, religion, these things also pertain to religion, okay? Now with that understanding, we understand what he means by they have gone into the way of Cain. What, what does he mean? That's why I just said all of that other stuff. The doctrines of faith that we have is salvation by faith alone, by grace alone, all right? By grace through faith alone in the works and person of Jesus Christ. 
when we consider without going into this, because you really can go into this. When we consider what took place with Cain's offering, Cain and Abel's offering, and we compare that to Hebrews chapter 11, notice what it said. The reason why Abel was, was able was able to offer up a sacrifice that was acceptable before God was because he did it by faith. Cain's offering was not of faith. Cain's offering was of the arrogance of works. So therefore, what Jude is referring to here is a system of works salvation. These false teachers have gone into the way of Cain. They have gone into a understanding and teaching of a salvation by works. You save by what you do. Remember, even remember Jude has in his hand, his possession, that letter of Peter. How did Peter open up his second epistle? To those, I'm writing to those who have a faith that is just like ours. That's a, you have a saving faith like ours. Tell me about that saving faith. Peter continues to say a faith by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. You ain't saved by what you do. You're saved by what Jesus has done and who Jesus is. And so here is the problem that Jude is saying. They are going into the way of Cain. Their religious system is messed up. Their salvation now is because of their works, just like their daddy Cain. And what was the result when Cain offered up his works before God, God rejected him. But let me go on. Enough of that. And they have uh, gone to the way of Cain and for pay, they have rushed headlong into the era of Balaam. Now he brings in what Peter brought in too. Because notice Peter talked in Balaam and the whole issue of Balaam is uh, Balaam was a false prophet who was motivated because of his desire for money. And this is the same way, same thing that Jude is bringing out here. Headlong into the era of Balaam. That is the love and lust for money. These false teachers, this is the motivation behind why they are doing what they are doing. Here he calls it the era of Balaam. And then he says, perished in the rebellion of Korah. In all of these things, as I just told you earlier, you have to have an understanding of the Old Testament. Here in the rebellion of Korah, and in a nutshell, Numbers chapter 16, Korah wanted to take over the priesthood. They got jealous because the priesthood was given, by, given from God to Aaron, to the family and sons of Aaron. Okay, Aaron is the high priest. His sons would be the priest. And through this family would be the priest. But the problem with Korah was he wanted the priesthood. He wanted the power. And so therefore he rebelled against Moses and Aaron. And here what Jude is referring to as they have gone into the way, the era of Korah is that these same people in rejecting apostolic authority, they reject the authority of the apostles themselves and the authority of the apostles. And therefore the apostles, since they are the apostles, they have the right to give the doctrine for the church. They reject the apostles. They want to replace their apostles themselves and they want to hand down doctrines and truth that Christians should uh, 
keep and, and, and to obey. I don't think I'm going to be able to get into this. Let me see how far we're in this. Lord have mercy. This is 59 minutes, saints. We won't be able to finish this. Let's see what we can stop. Let's just get ready to stop it here. So where are we? Uh, uh, da, 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 da. Let's, let, let's review right quick. Way of Cain, false religious system, salvation by works. Okay. We talked about that. Uh, the era of Balaam, the motivation is money. All right. And then rebellion of Korah. That is a rejection of apostolic authority. They wanted themselves to be the authority. Then he says, verse number 12, and here's where we're going to stop with 12 and 13. These men are hidden reefs in your love feast. Once again, it, it takes us back to what, what Peter says. These, their false teachers will creep in. Now, Judas saying they have crept in and Judas calling them hidden reefs in the So they are amongst the people of God and they are not altogether visible, easily seen. And what does he call them? He calls them, notice, hidden reefs. Now, let me help you out because I'm halfway on, halfway excited. A hidden reef, imagine water. It's just like water. Especially when you start getting near the near the, uh, uh, the the banks of the water, but in the water you got rocky places in the water that, that that are not easily seen. But sometimes the waves can start moving, and 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 the rocky places may be seen then. But nevertheless, as a ship is sailing over the water, you remember the ship. You need water, and all of a sudden it, it didn't. They did the the navigator of the ship didn't see that rocky place that was right underneath the surface and boom, he hits that rocky place right underneath the water and becomes shipwrecked and becomes what? Shipwrecked. And this is the idea of what Jude is trying to say about these false teachers and the effect that these false teachers have in the community of the saints. What? They are not always easily seen like these rocks in the water. They are not easily seen, but when you run over them, when the saints of God started to fool with them, what? In listening to them, they become shipwrecked in the faith. They cause the people of God to stumble. They cause the people of God to live lives that are not approved in the sight of God because they themselves want the authority and they are giving and teaching doctrines that are contrary to the faith. And what did Jude say? I wanted to write a letter to you about common salvation, but I got to write to you to tell you to hold on, to fight, to struggle for the once for all delivered faith from the teachings of the apostles. Why? Because these false teachers are like rocks in the sea that you cannot see that if you come in contact with them, you wreck your ship and make you shipwrecked. Okay, enough of that. So he said, hidden reason your love feasts when they feast with you without fear, caring for themselves. You see, their entanglement with the body of Christ. They are not doing what Paul says that we ought to try to do. Seek to build up one another. 
They are not trying to build up the saints in their false teachings, in their desire for authority. They only care for themselves because notice he's already talked about they going into the way of Balaam. They care for money. They care for authority. They care for power. Do you know people like that? They use religion to garner power, authority, fame for themselves. They don't care for the people. They only care for living their lives and having and exercising power and authority over people. It is never the job of the pastor. It is never the job of any church leader to try to control people. That's not our job. Our job is to teach and to preach and to admonish. Now, how people live their lives after that, that's their business. Now, we can bring about discipline according to the word of God. But it's not our job to control people. When you see people trying to control you, it is ungodly. And this is the very essence of the nature of these false teachers. But why do they seek to control you? Because they're doing it for their for themselves, doing it for the money, doing it for the power, doing it for the glory, doing it for the fame. But enough of that. I just started preaching. But whatever, whatever. Where am I? Where am I? Caring for themselves. And again, he uses those similar descriptors that Peter uses, clouds without water. And the, the essence of clouds without water, you know, you got a cloud, imagine a man on a hot day. It's hot. You're thirsty. And this is like people who are seeking knowledge from God, hot and thirsty. You see, and, and, and a cloud, when you look at a cloud, you start feeling good while you're thinking it's going to rain. You look at these false teachers. I'm thirsting and hunger for the knowledge and the truth of God. And I look at this so-called teacher. I'm thinking he's going to give me that which is good and beneficial for me. That is the true word of God, the true doctrines of the faith. But instead I go to this cloud looking for water and what? I ain't get nothing. And that's the essence of what he teaches in all of these descriptors. Very similar to what Peter did. You go to these false teachers looking for true religion, true doctrine, those things that will benefit you in the faith so that when you see Jesus, he'll tell you, well done. You go to these false teachers thinking you got something. You ain't got nothing. You got a cloud. What? without water. And he just continues on with those descriptors. Such clouds carried along by winds, blistering clouds that give no blessings. Again, what? He uses other descriptors. Autumn trees without fruit. And it makes a lot of sense. Notice what? Because usually it is in the autumn time of the year that trees bring forth fruit that are ready to be gathered. You go to these false teachers thinking that you're going to get something again, beneficial, go to the tree looking for fruit. Guess what the tree ain't got? Tree ain't got nothing on it, right? Autumn tree, it looks like it should have it, but guess what? It doesn't. It's the autumn time. Trees should bear fruit. Go to the tree. Tree ain't got no fruit. Go to the teacher thinking the teacher should know. Teacher doesn't know. Teacher's not guiding you. Why? The teacher's the false teacher. And all of these are the scriptures. Again, notice their spiritual state, the spiritual state of these teachers, doubly dead, uprooted. Now he speaks of that. He, the, he's still speaking about that tree, but uh, the, the tree that should be bearing fruit. But the essence of all of this is, is about the false teacher and what spiritually 
They are, can you imagine? Okay, <laughs> doubly dead. To be dead is not to be saved. Look at how he uses the term, you doubly dead. These false teachers ain't just unsaved, they're unsaved, unsaved. <laughs> doubly dead and even what? Uprooted, their roots are out of the ground. They are not grounded in truth, grounded in the faith. They're not saved. They don't know what they're talking about. All I can hear in my own mind is, and what Jude is trying to say later on, run, run, run. Okay. Again, let's finish these descriptors and we're going to bring this, this sec section to a close. He calls them wild ways of the sea, casting up their own shame like Foam. And again, he you can bring in the picturesque sense of waters on the seashore. You know how waters be coming in and flapping, and then you can see what the foam coming in. But these teachers are like waves of the sea, and the foam, but the foam that's coming in is the work of their shame. And the works of their shame are the things that Peter has been talking about: the ungodly lifestyle. The licentiousness, remember that word that Peter used to love to use, auselgia, remember that term that deals with what? That wickedness that relates to sexual immorality. Remember the, the, the things to the which they will be judged, talked about both Peter as well as talked about Jude here. He talked about the Peter coming out, people coming out of Israel that were unbelieving. Then he talked about what? The licentiousness the wickedness, immorality of the angels, the licentiousness of the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. Again, this is tied on to what? This is the foam that comes out of these false teachers. And instead of them being ashamed of these things, these are the things that they take pleasure in and even teach. Okay. Let's finish the descriptors. Close it out. Casting up their own like foam. And what are they? Wandering stars. Okay, a star, something to be looked up at, looked upon, something to be admired. But they themselves, instead of being something simply to be looked upon, admired for, for stability and direction. <laughs> to be looked upon, admired for stability and directing, direction. You can't look at the false teachers like that. Why? Because they themselves are wondering. They have no stability. They don't even know where they are going. And so he calls them wandering stars. And the end result for false teachers, the whole point of what he's been making thus far, for what? For whom the black darkness has been reserved forever. And that is simply speaking of judgment. False teachers will be judged. All right, guys. I thought foolishly that I'll be, able, I'll be able to finish Jude in one teaching, but it looks like we're going to get into actual two videos. So let's just do a quick rehearsal of what we have thus far. Again, this epistle is coming from Jude and Jude is simply following after the epistle of second Peter. And that is as Peter has warned false teachers would come. Jude is saying, these false teachers now have come. And the problem is just like what Peter said, that's why we keep saying there's a constant parallelism between the epistle of Jude and second Peter. And that is they deny the, the, the person of Jesus. 
He calls him our despot and our Lord, our God and our Savior. Same thing that Peter was talking about. And also how they bring in licentious teachings. And we talked about that. They turn the grace of God into a license to sin. And we hear that all the time. And, and, and I like to say it this way. Let me talk here. Everybody saved. Everybody saved. I, I have talked to people in my own personal life. And people are literally shacking up and living in fornication, living in adultery, liars. I mean, they live in any kind of way. And if you ask them, are they Christians? They say, yeah. And they say, why are you Christian? Because I believe. And this is the very thing that Jude is talking about. They turn the grace of our God into a license to sin. I know you ain't saved by what you do, but what you do does tell whether or not you are saved. It is the evidence. And this is what Peter was talking about in his letter. And this is what Jude is bringing about, not with the same emphasis, but he's feeding off of the letter of second Peter. But anyway, and so he continues on to give the same example, similar example that Peter gave false teachers would be judged. Jude gives three examples, the Peter from people from Egypt, the, uh, uh, angels in the days of Noah and finally Sodom and Gomorrah. And then he talks about the worthlessness in all of those descriptors of these teachers in that they seem that they should be some good for people, but in the end, they are wretchedness. They are no good at all for the body of, of, of God's people. And the thing about it is the sad thing is just like the rocks, reefs in the sea that are not easy to be seen, that if a ship mess up and sail over them, hit and end up the ship is shipwrecked, so are these false teachers. They are not easily seen in the body of Christ always, but be careful if you listen to them and follow them, they will make you yourself shipwrecked in the faith and you'll end up being a docimos. Y'all know that's one of my favorite words, a docimos, where Paul talks about 1 Corinthians 9 and 27, unapproved, you will not finish the race like Jesus wants you to. He ain't gonna say well done if you mess up and finish the race at all and don't end up going to hell just like these false teachers. They are wandering stars condemned to eternal darkness, hell, ultimately the lake of fire, false teachers. Okay guys, that was much longer. I guess I ended up preaching more than I thought I would, but much longer than I thought it would be, but we thank God for our opening and beginning of the book of Jude, just a single chapter, some people call it but he also comes to talk about false teachers and we have those very things today. And if I had to give a word, I would say, number one, you wanna be careful, not just running just because a person has a, a person has a simple doctrinal agreement with you, call them a false teacher. We don't, every, we don't know everything, nobody knows everything, but a false teacher has to be called because the scriptures say such a one is a false teaching. Let me just give you an example. Say for instance, Say a post meal and a pre meal, and I don't want to get into all of that. You say, I'm a post millennial, right? And then another person say, Well, I'm a pre millennial, and then you look and say, That's a false teacher. That's not a false teacher. That's just a disagreement 
concerning how the age will come about. This is not necessarily a false teacher. Notice how the Bible talks about this false teachers talks about the lifestyle that people live, unholiness, ungodliness, not recognizing the person of Jesus, that he is God and things about that's what makes a false teacher. Okay. But not just simple disagreements of the faith. All right. But other things that are more fundamental to the faith, especially things that are spoken of even namely by the scriptures. All right. So enough of that. So thank you guys for joining me. Let's end with a moment of prayer. Heavenly father, we thank you for book of Jude. We ask you, Lord, to give us a spirit of discernment because Jude spoke. Okay, have you guys realized it? Almost 2,000 years ago, the false teachers have come. If the false teachers came in the day of Jude, how much more are the false teachers here now? And as Jesus said in his parable concerning the birds in the trees, and guys, I ain't about to get into that one. <laughs> the birds are the dough has become fully leavened. So Lord, give us discernment to know that there are so many false teachers. Help us, Lord, not to fall. That's the last thing that Peter said, fall from our own steadfastness. Help us to be aware of false teachers. Help us to understand when there's just simply a doctrinal disagreement about something that's not relative to salvation, but also to help us to understand that when something is really crucial, we said, no, 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 no. Do not do that. Do not teach that. Do not be this way. And help us to understand one of the greatest marks that we see of false teachers, arrogance. They have no humility at all. And this is when Jude, as well as Peter was saying, they reject, they revile angelic majesties. But Lord, we do thank you for those who are listening. Bless those according to your word, Jesus. Amen. Lord, we thank you. But anyway. Thank the Lord for everything. Thank the Lord for you. Thank you for joining us with these teachings. If these teachings have been a blessing to you, will you consider to partner with us? There's always a link in the description that you can use to support this ministry. And for those of you who have supported this ministry, I want to say thank you for all that you've done. All right, join me next time, guys, as we complete the second part of Jude. See you then.